It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September 29th, 2011. Welcome to the program and thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is back uh, tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. You weren't gone last uh, I Thursday. was actually here last week. But you were out of town. You just got I, in the thing is, I think my performance last week on the program was so imm- in unrememberable that you don't oh, no, even no, know. I remember it. I'm glad yeah. that you No, we're g- glad to be together, as always, on Thursday for uh, a period of Bible study with our friends on the virtual Bible study. And we've got uh, somebody in the booth tonight uh, joining us from uh, Jennings, Florida. Nick Law is here uh, in the studio with us tonight. Uh, Nick, uh, welcome to the program. Yeah, it would be good if your microphone was turned on as well. So there you go. Uh, give that a try there, Nick. Great to be with you all again tonight. Well, we're glad you're here. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you, 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. The chat room is open to the right of your viewing window. Well, we uh got an interesting program planned for tonight. We're going to try to talk about something that should be applicable to everybody who's listening. You know, sometimes, Jacob, our subjects maybe hit a certain percentage of those who listen, but maybe not everybody for instance, even if we were talking about marriage, those who are not married may feel like that's the topic. Sure. That's not, or if we talk about parenting and they don't have children, or if we talk about some other uh, thing that's from the Scriptures, but they feel like it may not be particularly pertinent to their situation. Limited uh, But this, audience. this subject tonight has to be pertinent to everybody. We want to talk about membership in and responsibilities to a local congregation. Okay. That is an interesting topic. Uh, do you... That sort of is unusual, though, because people think of themselves as having an obligation towards a local congregation. Well, we hope they do. We hope I, we believe the Bible says they should, and we'll try to investigate. But that. perhaps the, uh, the the common idea today is that the congregation has an obligation to me. Yeah, I think a lot of people view their membership. In fact, I've even had people call and ask questions about the local church. What do you have? What kind of programs do you have for me and my family? And the idea that uh, is kind of prevalent in the religious world is, what's in this for me? What what is what are you doing that comes my direction? And uh, but we believe that the New Testament we we will see suggest that we should make ourselves available and see what we can do for the local church. Nick, we don't want to minimize the fact that the congregation does have responsibilities towards me, but uh, we're going to focus on what I should be doing for the congregation. I think if each one of us understand what constitutes the local church, we see that we each one have a part. And as we study various passages, I believe we will see very clearly that the you know the body of Christ is not uh, one member, but it's many members, and that includes each one, whether young or old. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven is the number to call. It's toll free tonight, as usual. We look forward to hearing from you on the phone tonight, or send an email, or join in the chat room tonight. Uh, let us know your thoughts. About church membership, I, you know that church membership is. If we look at statistics, church membership is on the decline, just in the religious world in general. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it, 
we see that people feel like they are not obligated and don't have a necessity to be a part of a, a local body of believers. And uh, well, that's one of the things. We, we might as well go to the questions that we sent out earlier to Jacob because that was one of the questions we ask. Uh, again, remembering, as we always remind you, if you don't get our updates, if you'd like to get them, send us an email, questions at collegeu.com. Just put add me to the list. It's a spam-free distribution list yeah, as well. No that's spamming. Right. That's right. And we won't sell or share your email address with anybody else. You know, that seems to be important to people to know that. Could I get somebody's email address on No, that? No, oh, no. You're not going to share We're it. not sharing oh, at all. Okay. Uh, so here's the questions we sent out earlier today. In fact, we were a little late getting these out today, but these were the questions we sent out. Question one. How would you convince an individual Christian that they should be an identified member of a local congregation? In other words, if you if you were talking to somebody who didn't believe that, how mm-hmm. what would, what arguments would you make? How would you go about convincing them that they should be? Or if you don't think that that's important, if you think it is not necessary, and I and I've talked to some people over the years who thought it was not necessary oh, as well. to be member a member of a local congregation. If you don't think it's necessary, please give your reasoning as to why. The phone line is open. We'd especially like to talk to you if you don't believe church membership is required. And then number two, how can a person get a good measure of what their specific abilities are? Okay, if I, what, what am I able to do, number two? Number three, how do you get a good measure of what your specific opportunities are? So we want to talk about ability and opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then the, the fourth question tonight, how does God measure us? as to whether or not we have fulfilled our responsibilities in the local congregation. Ooh, that's a that's a good question as well. We'll save that one for the end. We look forward to your answers to those questions that I just join in as we discuss responsibilities uh, to the local church. Well, we have some scriptural and biblical uh, examples and precedents for church membership. We see that the, from the scriptures that uh, church membership is required. And so if we're talking with someone about uh, the requirement or the necessity for an individual to be part of a local congregation, I think we've got we've got good scriptural yeah. backing for that. And our friend John from Edmond, Oklahoma, has sent an email, and, and I think he's right on. I will just use his comments to get us started in this discussion. He said, regarding the question of how would you convince a Christian that they should be an identified member of a local congregation, he says, I believe it's necessary for, indivi- for an individual Christian to be part of a local congregation. The simplest example is that of Paul when he joined himself with the church in Jerusalem. I'm not sure if Paul stood up and said, I want to place my membership with this church. However, we do know that he joined himself to the local group and worked with them. A person can officially place membership but yet not work with the church except mm, for occasionally attending services. Is he truly a member of that body? Interesting. I have known of cases where Christians chose not to place membership or were never officially asked, but they worked and worshipped as much as those who had placed membership, including laying by in store, helping to clean the building, and so forth. Joining with a local church is to work with that local church, whether it is for six months, six years, or 60 years. I do not see biblical membership as being defined by who is and who is not in the directory, but rather who has joined to the work with the local group. It is in that sense that we are members of the local body. With that being said, I would be leery of a person who refuses to place membership or refuses to be identified with a local group. In my understanding, that person should be viewed as a visitor and not treated as a member of that body. Okay. All right, so that's what John has to say. I like his reference to the case of Paul uh, when he returned to Jerusalem after his conversion. And that story is in Acts chapter 9. 
And yeah, I, we might spend a minute looking at that text. Yeah, Paul is uh, in Indiana tonight in the chat room. He references Acts 9, verse 26, where Paul attempted to join himself uh, to the disciples. Yeah, let me read that text real quickly from the King James Version. Acts 9, beginning verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. I think one of the things we see here, Jacob, is that it was Paul himself who took the initiative to to identify himself with that group in the city of Jerusalem. Now, John said in his email, and I'd have to agree, we don't know how he went about that. We don't know whether in an assembly of the church he stood up and pronounced, I'd like to be a member of this church. But the, but the expression that King James is, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. And that, that verbiage suggests he made an effort. He put forth some effort. It wasn't, and, and I think I, I, I might slightly disagree with John here. It seems to me that there was some conscious effort to do this. It wasn't just that he just sort of fell in amongst them and began doing what they were doing. It seems that he put forth some specific effort to be identified, to join himself with that group. Any thoughts on that, Nick? Well, when, I think when we look at the uh, wording of the idea of join there, uh, even within the word itself, it shows us that he came there to be glued to, uh, to stick to, I think it's just some simple terms. And the fact is that the brethren there were afraid of him, and, and uh, they were sort of, they were refusing, they were afraid of him at that particular time. And so we see the, the uh, ability to get that accomplished on that occasion was limited because no, everybody was not in agreement. So. Uh, and yet he was trying to be a part of the work, it seems to me, at Jerusalem. That's right. He was making an effort to join himself there. But they, as you said, Nick, they were afraid of him. And they actually uh, put him to the test. They wanted to know the proof that this was, in fact, a faithful Christian man who deserved their fellowship. And so uh, I, I think that there was a, a and, and I, I wouldn't necessarily use the word a formality being exercised here, but there was a process underway. Okay. He initiated it. He expressed his interest. As we said, the word there is assayed, and I was trying to see what the literal meaning of that Well, uh, the New King James refers to it as tried. He tried to join the disciples. It's been a long time since I assayed to do something, but I've tried to do several things here. Even today, I tried to do some things. And never, I didn't say anything, but... Well, you, let's see here. Here's uh, The word literally means... Uh, well, that's not a, to attempt to. To attempt to try. To try. Yeah. So, um, and that, and so he made an effort, and yet his his initial effort was not received uh, without question. They doubted whether this guy, who they knew so well as a persecutor of the church, they doubted whether he was in fact a legitimate Christian. And you can imagine why they might be afraid. Maybe this guy is trying to covertly get into their number so that he can find out who they all are yep. and then end up locking them all up in jail. Uh -huh. yep. You could see where there might be some fear on their part. But Paul was not discouraged, and Barnabas, who knew that he was, in fact, a true and legitimate Christian, spoke in his defense, pre presented his cause or his case to the church, and then they accepted him. You know, Paul must have seen some benefit in being a member of the local congregation, Nick, uh, for him to go to that trouble in to. Put it, I'm sure it was an uncomfortable thing for him. I mean, he's 
Well, you mean you've got to you admit that you've been doing wrong when you come to the Christians there in Jerusalem and want to be a part of them after you've been so adamant against them. Uh, Paul obviously uh, understood there was some benefit to him to be a member of this congregation. I, th- I think uh, him him being a new member, you know, he he immediately started preaching the gospel. We think of people sometimes they have to grow. He was a man who was very knowledgeable of the scriptures. It's evident. And uh, now that he's on the right track, he's in the right direction, he sees the need to be brought with others. If we study the first chapters of the book of Acts, we see how in accord brethren were being drawn together even on a daily basis and interacting one with the other for the spiritual strength uh, that they needed to draw one from the other. And I think Paul would see uh, all of that benefit. Exactly right. So what we have here is is an example from the early days of the church. What were Christians doing in those early days of the church? Well, they were forming local bodies of believers, and people who were in that locale joined themselves to that to that working group. And so if this was their practice, I think it would be the burden of someone today who says, I don't think I have to do that. It's not important, and I don't want to. I think it would be their burden to show that Christians – under the influence of inspired apostles, ever acted that way? I don't think you could. I don't think you can find in the New, case, New Testament cases of people who refused to join themselves with the believers in their local place to work and serve the Lord uh, in that capacity. Paul in Indiana has an interesting comment. He says it's also evident from a study of First Corinthians that there are responsibilities to the local church to work together, to get along with one another, to correct one another, to worship with one another. For this to happen, you must know who the one another is. Exactly right. And I would add to that, uh, if elders are to have the oversight uh, of, of a local congregation, in passages like Acts chapter 20, Paul told the elders at Ephesus, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. How would the elders know who they are to oversee? If, if there was no way of identifying, this is a member of this local body. We, we as elders, they would say, have a responsibility to oversee him and to protect him and provide for his spiritual well-being. If this was a just sort of a ambiguous, never defined, nobody identifies uh, kind of situation, it, it would make it effectively impossible. So if, if you wanted to argue that it's necessary to join yourself with a local body of believers. Sort of to summarize what we've said, we've, we've certainly got examples of it. The, the prime example is that of, uh, of uh, Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 9. But then, as in our chat room has been suggested, so many of the things that we're told to do indicates that we need to be a part of that body if we're going to do it. And... If we're going to submit to the oversight of elders in local congregations, then they have to know that we are desirous to be under their oversight and to be a part of that congregation. All right. Uh, You know, here's another way to look at it. We're taught many times about uh, people that should be withdrawn from. For instance, uh, back to 1 Corinthians that Paul uh, Paul referenced in the chat room, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 was the member there who was uh, engaged in fornication. And in verse 2, it says here that uh, he should be taken away from among you. How can you take away from somebody if it's just some type of ambiguous who knows who's who? Uh, 
Exactly. And to join in with the thought that Greg's presented, uh, Peter in First Peter 5, you know, he talks about the elders which are among you. It shows that elders uh, have to know the flock that they're over, and it is among you. So it would that would suggest the idea of people being glued together in a common interest, uh, common membership, uh, uh, working together, striving together financially, spiritually, otherwise, as, as we think of the local church, uh, of how it's constituted, is constituted of local members. All right. Uh, Real quick, John in the chat room, Jacob, clarifies uh, his comments in his email, uh, and he says, he agrees, every example of New Testament Christians were shown to be members of local groups. I can't think of one example of someone who clearly was not a member of a local group. And Paul provides some examples of where the word assayed is used in the New Testament to show Really, if we look at how where it's translated, it shows that there is effort. In fact, uh, some extreme effort in Acts 26, verse 21. For this cause, the Jews seized me, that's Paul, in the temple, and essayed to kill me. I don't think it was a sort of a half-hearted thing there. I think yeah, they were really at Sort of an up. unofficial or unstated purpose. <laughs> we'll no, kill they, if we can. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. All right, and then Larry says, uh, he also makes a comment. Uh, he's in Kentucky. He says, I think it's obvious that if a Christian does not become a part of the local congregation, it is perhaps them not wanting to work. Not wanting to work, I agree, or potentially not wanting to be accountable mm-hmm. to other people. You know, if I'm not a member of a local congregation, if I never make the effort to identify myself with a group, it may be because I don't want to be subject to their discipline if I choose to live as the Word of God says I should not live. All right, and uh, Larry follows up, even if the congregation has no elders, the Christians can work with the congregation that they have identified with. Again, elders are not a requirement to have a uh, congregation, as uh, we've discussed in the past. So I think this is a really first important first consideration in our study. I, I think it's clearly God's plan for Christians to be members of a local body, a local congregation, a local church. It's part of his plan. If we uh, object to that or if we refuse to submit to his plan in that regard, then there's something wrong. If I say, and and I think almost every place I've ever been, I've known that there were certain Christians in that local area who just didn't feel like they had that need. It wasn't necessary. I don't have to kind of attitude. And people who express that are actually being rebellious against the will of God. Now, we've got a common theme going on in the chat room tonight. Larry, Paul, and John, I believe, are all preachers. And so we've got a common theme here. We need to hear from some other listeners in the chat room as well tonight. Uh, sign in the chat room. Uh, it's very easy to follow the instructions at the bottom of the chat window, and you can join in the conversation. No, you don't have to give any personal information. Just just make make yourself up a nickname. We and don't even come need a credit in. card. Just just give yourself a nickname and come on. It's in. free. So Paul, Paul in the chat room refers to some of those people I was talking about as floaters, church floaters. You ever known any? I've uh, known plenty, unfortunately. They yeah. floated on by. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to take a break, and when we get back, we'll take your comments. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. There's more of the Virtual Bible Study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lane Crawford, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you've never visited with the College View Church of Christ, you may be wondering what our worship services are like. One thing we have at every worship service is music. We believe God has commanded that music be a part of our worship. But something you may notice about our worship is that the music we have in our worship is different than the music used by many in the religious world today. 
The music we worship God with is strictly vocal. We don't believe God has commanded us to worship Him with instrumental music. Therefore, since we want God to approve of the worship we offer Him, we only worship in the way that He has specified. In Colossians 3.16, God instructs, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Instructions like this in which only vocal music is commanded are the only instructions we can find in the New Testament. Since God didn't tell us that he wanted us to worship him with instrumental music, how can we be sure that he wants that kind of worship? We do know that if we worship God like he prescribed with vocal music, that he'll be happy with that kind of worship. We hope you'll make plans to visit with the College Church of Christ to learn more about what our worship is like. We'd love to have you join us in worship of our Creator this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Here are some quotes worth pondering. You can't be envious and happy at the same time. Our attitude toward things is likely to be more important than the things themselves. The quickest way to correct the other fellow's attitude is to correct your own. Man, wish I'd said that. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we are back on the program tonight, and we're looking forward to hearing from you in the chat room tonight. It's wide open and it's free. No personal information is required, and the telephone number is toll-free as well, 877-381-4567. John makes a good point in the chat room, just to follow what we were saying earlier. Some people don't want to submit themselves to the discipline, potential discipline of a local congregation. But John says, you know, a a local church, the elders of a local church could still mark someone, even who's not a member of their church, if he's causing divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine of Christ. Romans 16, 17, and such marking would be for the safety of those who were members of the local church. Well, uh, and also Larry says in regard to number two, I think the best way for anybody to find out what they can do is to be involved. He's talking about our uh, responsibility to the church and uh, to teach the lost, practice benevolence, encouraging one another, and just a place to start. The preachers so he, are wound up on this So he's, he segues us to our second question. So let's go to that. Larry's got Is this just a preacher thing or... No, no, we got we've got a number of people who are you've listening. Got, and not but you've got scriptural backing, so it's not just something that preachers have made up that we need to be a member of a congregation. No, I think that's right. Okay. So let's talk about uh, question two: How can a person get a good measure of what their specific abilities are? And then the third question is going to be: How do you get a, a measure of what their opportunities are? The specific opportunities. The reason I worded it that way is because many of you who are listening uh, probably uh, have heard sort of the explanation i think it's very applicable that responsibility is comprised of ability and opportunity when you have ability to do something and an opportunity confronts itself to use that ability then you're responsible to act now think about that for a minute if you have ability and an opportunity then you are responsible take away one of those two let's say that you have no ability to do a certain thing then even if the opportunity presents itself, but you don't have an opportunity, you don't have the ability to address it, then you have no accountability or responsibility. Right. Or let's say you have an ability to do something, but the opportunity to do that never comes around, no responsibility. But when you've got both things together, when you have an ability to do something and an opportunity to do that arises, God holds you uh, accountable or uh, he requires it. I always thought that responsibility was made out of response and ability, but it's ability and opportunity. Yeah. Okay. For, for instance, let's look at a couple of uh, Bible verses that that really tell us that God is expecting us to do what we can, what abilities we have. He does not expect us to do what we're not able to do. And I, I think some Christians sort of beat themselves up because, you know, maybe I'm 
maybe I can't teach a lesson. Maybe I'm not able to make a, a, a preach a lesson, make a public sermon. Or someone else says, I, I just feel like I have, I don't have any, maybe I don't have the ability to lead singing or something. And they feel bad about it. If you don't have the ability, God is not holding you accountable. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, it says, For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. There you go. So if you don't have, you can't be held accountable. Exactly right. Okay. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, we won't take the time to read all of it, but a lot of people will, will be familiar with the parable of the talents that Jesus taught in Matthew 25, beginning verse 14. Remember, of course, that the talents there were a measure of money. Uh, it's kind of interesting that we use it to suggest the idea of talent or ability. And in that parable that Jesus taught, of the talents, there was a man who, who had ability to, to administer five talents, one who had the ability to administer two, and one who should have had the ability to administer one talent of his master's money. And, of course, he did not. But the idea is that the, the two-talent man wasn't expected to do what the five-talent man did. The one-talent man wasn't expected to do what the two-talent man did. They were each individually expected to do according to uh, the ability that their master uh, felt that they possessed and jesus surely is teaching in that parable um, he's teaching many things but surely one thing that he's teaching there is that our lord and master doesn't expect us to do more than we can he simply expects us to use the abilities that we have all right nick have you ever known anyone who did not have uh, ability to do certain things in the congregation i look at myself in the member in in the mirror all the time and and question do i have ability and, of course, God has created each one of us, and, and I think, as Greg is pointing out from the parable, shows that everybody has some ability. Uh, the question is, will we cultivate, will we use what has been provided for us? I think of what Peter uh, writes in First Peter 4, verse 11. He says, if any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. God gives all of us something that we can do. Uh, if it's, it's a matter of us assembling and being together, uh, when preachers are standing in the pulpit, somebody needs to be listening to those sermons uh, as well. So, yeah. and and supportive of of the one who's speaking the truth. So, uh, both parties are important. We're all members one of another. One is not any more important really than another. But we all have our part to supply. Exactly. You know, Nick, I'm sure you have heard, as I have heard, people try to make excuse for themselves. Say, well, I'm I'm just a one talent man. Well, they're really not, that, that doesn't work because the one-talent man, there were expectations of him too. You know, he, you can't say, well, I'm just a one-talent man, there's nothing for me to do. No, the one-talent man had, the Lord expected him to produce, and when he didn't, of course, he was punished. So you, all of us have ability, and all of us should work. Yeah, you're, you're close to getting on a soapbox here. Hey, uh, let, let me back up in the chat room. Uh, John makes a question. This goes back to, to our first part of our discussion about uh, placing membership or identifying as a member of the local congregation. And John asked, when a church hires a preacher, does he need to place membership? Uh, and then he says, adjusting uh, a bit, but I've never known a preacher placing membership when hired. Uh, I, I would sort of argue that, that the very process by which a church invites a, an evangelist to come and work with them is in itself a process of identifying the fact that this guy is going to be a working member of this local congregation. There is no formal methodology that the New Testament puts in place whereby we identify with the church. That's left up to our judgment how that's made known. And I think in the case of a preacher when he's hired, 
the, the very process of him coming, speaking with the men of the church, and them extending an invitation for him to come and serve as an, uh, a work uh, uh, in that work, I think that itself serves as a means of identifying, yes, this guy is a member of this church. That's, why, that's how he got here, because he, he came with an interest, and we invited him to participate, and yes, he is a member. In his case, that's a little bit unique, and it, you know, it's, it's all right there out in the open. In, in the case of others, it needs to be equally known. And there needs to be some methodology, some methodology in place whereby it becomes known that this this person desires, and the church extends fellowship to them to be a working part of that church. Nick, your thoughts? Well, I, I think of the Apostle Paul when Barnabas did uh, come get him, present him to the apostles, and they go down in Acts 13. I think it's very clear there that Paul and Barnabas both work out of the church at Antioch of Syria. And if you notice on each one of the preaching tours uh, that uh, is recorded there in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas, when they're together, or Paul and Silas, when they're together, they always come back to the local congregation where they were sent out from, and they're giving a report back to those brethren. So we, we know that there was some methodology there of them all being in mutual agreement to give the right hands of fellowship, to be supportive of, to know that they could depend upon them. All right. Now, there's been some questions. What about the preacher's wife? Well, again, there may be some assumption there. And and, and we'd have to leave this to every local congregation to work out, but I believe that there's there's something uh, assumed in the matter of a preacher and his wife that would be different from others because they are actually being invited to come and participate in a work. They, they expressed an interest in doing so. And the church expresses an interest in extending them fellowship. And I think that that, that process in itself makes it known. And that's really what we're saying. You've got to make it known. David is in the chat room, and I believe David's in Michigan. And he says sometimes you do not know that you have an ability until you're required to do it or to use it. All right, so let's get to the, back to this question of ability. How do we know what our abilities are? Uh, we know that the Lord expects us to do what we can. He expects us to use our abilities. How do we know? And I think David is right. So you, sometimes you just have to push yourself to see if you're capable of doing that. You may find out that you're not. And if <laughs> that's the case, then you, you back up. But you may very well find out that you are able and you, you can grow into this thing, that you have the ability to learn and, and achieve that through exerting your effort. Uh, I, I put down a list of some things, Jacob, that uh, might help people in determining what their specific abilities are. Let me read this list, and well, we're up time to break. We might talk about this when we get back. Here's my list that I put together. How can I know what my abilities are? Pray, study the scriptures, give serious thought and meditation to this, ask others for advice, then ask yourself some questions. What special blessings and advantage do I have that others do not have? What do I possess that can be used in this work? What things do I derive special satisfaction and fulfillment from doing? What things do I enjoy doing? What things come naturally to me? And finally, what things can I learn to do? Okay. So there's a list, and we, we might talk about some of those things. I see it's, it's break time. Jake, maybe we can comment a little bit more about that when we come back. We're going to come back, and uh, we're going to talk about that. And, um, and I've got a little pet peeve in the area of ability that we'll talk about as far as our opportunities and our responsibilities to the church. We're going to talk about that on the other side. We hope you'll stay tuned. We hope you'll join in the discussion. Don't go anywhere. The program continues right after this. 
Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. All godly parents are concerned about bringing up their children to be good, God-fearing people. In fact, we're commanded to do so in passages like Ephesians 6 and verse 4. There are lots of negative influences in the world that make this an increasingly difficult job. We worry about the impact of the schools, peer pressure, wickedness in the media, and so forth. In the face of all these forces that seek to ruin our kids, how can we succeed in teaching and training them to do what's right? While there are many scriptural principles that might be mentioned here, we want to emphasize just one, consistency. A key in bringing up faithful children is to be consistent. An obvious area where this consistency needs to be seen is in attendance at the assemblies. If you allow your kids to miss the worship services in order to be at a ball game, you are teaching them that the ball game is more important than the Lord. If you let them skip the assemblies for school functions, band trips, dramas, or plays, or go camping, fishing, or hunting, in all these ways you are demonstrating that there are things that are more important than God. If you fail to worship when you are traveling or on vacation, you are showing them that serving God is something you do only when it is convenient. If you let them take part-time jobs that interfere with their attendance, you are giving them a clear sign that work and career considerations are higher in priority than spiritual things. Many parents who are violating the principles stated here will scoff at these warnings. Yet the personal experiences of many people, as well as the plain teachings of God's word, indicate that this is the truth. Joshua had it right when he said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, verse 15. There would be no compromise in his family. He would lead them in a consistent, faithful path. Let's imitate his example of consistency. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. And we are back, and we're glad that you are as well. As we talk about our responsibilities to the local church. We talk about opportunity, our ability here. And uh, Larry in Kentucky makes the observation, how would you ever know if you could ride a bicycle if you never try? Yeah. In other words, you've got to try these things to see. And, you know, it might be that you find out that there's no real ability there, that you just really... You've tried, but you're just not able to achieve that particular aspect of service in the work of the Lord, and that others are, that others can do it better, and it's better to leave it to them while you put your emphasis on other things. But rarely do we have a natural or born ability. We may have an inclination, uh, or maybe an aptitude for something, but we're not we don't we're not born being necessarily good at a lot of things. We have to well, work on developing there, those abilities. Yeah, but there are some people, for instance. Well, some people. I mean, I can't. There are certain things I can't do. I can't ride a unicycle. No, but l- let's talk about some things. For instance, I could think of an example. There are some people who find it just much easier to interact with a with a new person or a stranger. Right. They, you know, the, right. you ever heard someone who's described it, they never met a stranger. In other right. words, they just it's just very easy for them to talk to people. That person could use that talent to reach out and make contacts uh, to bring people to the Lord. But he's not going to be but, but, initially. But, they're not, they're, but what I'm saying is there might be another person who's, who's just, his, his, his nature is more reserved, he's, he's more introverted, maybe it's not nearly as easy for him to talk to someone just, just in, out in a public place somewhere, strike up a conversation. 
Now he might he might stretch himself and try to grow better at that, but it's always going to be easier for the first person than the second person. And that first person needs to realize this is a particular gift I have. I'll use it to the Lord's glory. But even at that, that person who is extroverted is going to have to work at honing that skill and that ability. Is it, that he's going to have to work at it? Is what I'm saying. And so we shouldn't just say, well, I can't do that and quit, and my abilities are limited to X, Y, and Z, and no more. We should try and grow our abilities. I think that's some of the comments we're getting in the chat room tonight. Yeah, exactly right. John says in the chat room, a new convert has to learn what needs to be done in public worship, especially a grown man who's a new convert would have to learn that. He may have to grow into leading prayer, uh, leading public prayer, waiting on the table, reading scriptures publicly, teaching classes, and so forth. For someone raised in the church, the learning curve is not as great as an adult new convert. And I think that's true. And, you know, that might be, Nick, for those of us who were raised by parents who were Christians, that, that's one of the blessings that we had. You know, that as we grew up, we were just sort of brought into these various roles, both in public worship and in private service in the kingdom of God. That just We, we were just sort of brought up and, and put into those roles and and it and it became a little easier for us that way. Yeah, we we understood uh, by watching and observing others. Uh, you know uh, what would go on in a worship service, for example. And then uh, if you watch in congregations when young men get up uh, and and they begin to uh, give short talks, uh, stand maybe try to lead singing. Everyone is sort of behind them. Uh, if they have a little difficulty in starting it, other people are supportive of them. And uh, what gets them to improve in that is for them to continue to serve in that area. I think of Romans 12, uh, especially verse 7, where it says, those who, are, those who are ministry, let us give ourselves to our ministry, the American Standard Version says. Or he that teacheth to teach. You, you've got to put yourself into that uh, work that is before you. And uh, develop the ability. And develop the ability. Uh, if you read where the Lord, he gave some to be apostles, some preachers. So we know he gave gifts unto men. And uh, some of those men, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to be one of the apostles. But yet at the same time, there are other of those things that are not of uh, any uh, anything that any Christian cannot develop themselves in. Uh, some better than others. Uh, but using that talent that we have, as, as we mentioned Using what we have, the Lord will help us, and brethren is certainly going to encourage us. And Paul says in the chat room, it seems to me to be much more common for people to deny that they have abilities that they might possess than for them to try and do things they really can't. Yeah, uh, I, I, I do think that it's more common for people to not push themselves and, and to sort of say, I can't do that. No, 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 I can't do that. Yeah. Hey, uh, Larry says the problem that I've seen is that somebody says they can't do something just because they don't think they are as good as somebody else. This is just a cop-out, I believe, of trying to improve. And then Paul poses the question, doesn't Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 6, chapter 6, verse 4, tell us that there is a time we should have the ability to teach on some level? There's yeah. a time that everyone should be able to teach. I, I think he's now, exactly right. You've got to reconcile that passage, though, because Nick just referenced a passage that says that there are some that have been given to be teachers. It says some, not all, are given to be teachers in the passage that, that Nick referenced. And yet you're saying Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, beginning... Teaches that all should be teachers. Some, but that. did you notice that Paul used used the phrase there? We should have the ability to teach on some level. Okay. And so it may be that the 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 only level that I'm able to teach on is as a father teach my own children. Okay. Or as a husband to teach my wife. Maybe I'm never going to be skilled or have the ability to go out 
proclaim a public message to 3,000 people like Peter did on Pentecost. But at some level, I I need to know the word well enough. Really, Hebrews 5 was condemning those people because they had not matured in their knowledge of the word to the point that they had the that they had developed any ability to tell others anything. And they needed themselves to be taught what were the first principles of the oracles of God, uh, the word says there. So, uh, you know, th- this was a condemnation of the fact that they weren't growing and learning. All right. Kevin uh, says there are some fringe benefits to this. He says, I believe I became a better person, contributor to society, public speaker, employee, and manager because of my participation in the work of the local church. Okay. Very good. Now for my soapbox. Okay. Uh, okay, you're talking about abilities, and maybe uh, you, you, you guys probably have seen this as well. There are some members who go, well, I just can't. There's not much I can do. There's nothing I can do. Oh, I can't teach a Bible class. I, I can't uh, take a leading role in the church. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. But they don't do things that they obviously could do. For instance, cleaning the building. Yeah, I can't teach a Bible class. Therefore, I'm not going to clean the I'm church. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. And who is it that usually ends up cleaning the church building? It's those people who are involved Bible in Bible classes. classes teaching Bible classes. Right. And uh, the, the preacher and people that could be using their time to do those other things, they end up getting diverted to these other tasks that people could be doing uh, that just say, well, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. That's a pet peeve of mine. I don't know. I, I think you're right. I think people sell themselves short, but they it, but it's more than just – sort of selling themselves shorts is also looking for a, 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 a cop-out or an excuse to not do anything. Not do anything, okay. In, in other words, I, I'm just pretty limited in my abilities. You're so limited in your abilities that you can't clean a toilet? You're so limited in your abilities that you can't, you know, ride a lawnmower? You yeah. know, uh, change a light bulb? Change a light bulb? Wash a window? So I, I, I have to, I have to uh, yield to your pet peeve, Jacob. I, I, I can see that that you are right in this matter. All right. Uh, Well, let us know your thoughts. Uh, We've got uh, some listeners joining in the chat room tonight. We're looking forward to hearing from you if you're just joining us. We're talking about our responsibilities to the local church, talking about uh, the fact that it takes ability and opportunity in order to have responsibility. We began the program by talking about the fact that we should be a part of a local congregation. We're talking about our abilities and uh, knowing what those abilities are, taking maybe some inventory of our abilities. Again, Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I, I just got an email I wanted to add in from Jennifer in Hendersonville. Uh, says uh, it just references a scripture, Mark 14, beginning verse six. Jesus said, "Let her alone." This was this was the episode with Mary and Martha. Remember, Martha was busy uh, tending to the guests, serving them food, but Mary was listening to Jesus teach. No, no, excuse me, I'm, I'm wrong about that. That's not this Mary and Martha. This this was where the the Mary came. And anointed his feet with ointment okay. before he, before his crucifixion. I'm, I'm, I'm getting way. I'm getting my stories way off. Well. Mark 14. Just let me read the text. Mark 14, verse 6. Jesus said, "Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. Yeah. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do to them. But you do not always have me. And then here highlighted, uh, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial." Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. And so this is this is the great expression here we should emphasize. She has done what she could. You know, if you stop thinking about it, at the end of your life, if one statement could be made about you, wouldn't it be a wonderful, wouldn't it be a wonderful description of a life well spent to say he or she has done what? He could. He, he, she has done what she could. 
Yeah, that'd be a great, wouldn't it, Nick? That'd be great. Uh, when I think about the one member uh, that we were talking about earlier, sometimes it says, you know, I can't do this or I can't do that. Uh, that's the very point, you know, of 1 Corinthians 12, is it's pointing out that every member is necessary, even the one that considers himself the most feeble. And it uses the human body, you know, to... I mean, which which member of your body would you uh, chop off and throw away? Well, not any of them. All of them are important. There's some that I view a little more important than others, but I don't want to really give up any one yeah. of them. Now, if you just looked at your hand, if, if I had to choose, I, I mean, I'd give you my little finger before I'd give you my thumb, but I don't want to give you that, that little, little finger. That little finger does some things to help you. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to give up yeah. that little finger. All right, uh, we're here going to take, let's go and take a break. When we get back, we've got to talk we're about gonna, our opportunity. Yeah, we're going to, and Anthony in the chat room says, which question are we on? He doesn't even know where we are. We, we, he, I think he's just joined us. We've jumped around a lot, but we're about to talk about how how do we figure out what our, where our opportunities lie. All right, we're going to take a break and go to the top of the hour and give you time to join in. The phone line is wide open tonight. We've got a lot of people in the chat room, particularly preachers here, that are pretty keyed up about this subject. Why don't you give us a call, toll-free, 877 877- 3814567 email questions at collegeview.com we continue right after this got a question about something you've heard on the virtual bible study send your questions to questions at collegeview.com we'll be right back after this Hello, everyone. I'm Wade Shelton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you're like me, you've probably heard a lot of rumors about what the Church of Christ is all about. But regardless of what the rumors you may have heard, let me just quickly tell you what we are about. The College View Church of Christ is simply a group of Christians that is committed to doing everything that God has commanded us in exactly the way that he commanded us to do it. So we just simply open our Bibles and study them to determine what God has commanded us to do, and then we try to do it. It's just really that simple. Are you interested in being part of a group of people who have this approach to serving God? If so, I hope you will join me and my family as we worship God with the College View Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Hello, my name's Jeffrey Vernon. I'm 13, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. That was me five years ago. Now I'm 18, and I still love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The Virtual Bible Study rolls along. And we are rolling along, and we're waiting for you to join in on the discussion tonight. Well, we've got an interesting question that's been posed during the break in the chat room. What if someone has the ability to do something physical, but it gets in the way of the spiritual? Do they have a responsibility to the physical? For example, someone I know quit school and getting a Ph.D. to pursue becoming an evangelist. In other words, he was going to school and he was going to get a Ph.D., but he, he, he quit that in order to start preaching. All right. Some brethren considered this foolish. Preachers may be believing it was uh, uh, God's providence for them to stay in school. However, this person was more interested in preaching than pursuing a Ph.D. So this person has the ability to stay in school but would rather be a preacher. Was this wise? Your comments, please. I don't know. I don't know if there's enough detail there for us to make a, a, a good determination. I mean, you, you, you've always got to commend somebody who who forsakes something that might lead to a, for instance, a lucrative career or something, in interest of instead serving in the kingdom, doing God's work. I I no. would not say it's foolish. I I, I don't know enough uh, to really make a judgment, but, it, I mean, you have to convince somebody who makes such a choice. Now, now let me also make this comment. Maybe you uh, can comment on this as well, Nick. A person does not have to be a preacher to be working in the kingdom. 
perhaps that this person is better suited as a Ph.D. To maybe, work as, the kingdom. maybe as a Ph.D. he would have done greater things in the kingdom. So, yeah. so we don't really know. We don't know this individual. We don't know his service. It's a little hard to say. Well, okay. we see men in the scripture like Barnabas. You know, he, he's a man that he could preach. It's evident he and John Mark go out together preaching. And, and he was a multi-talented man because he was able to get Paul and get him when other brethren were afraid of him. And then we read of other being in the scriptures like Onesimus, a runaway slave. He becomes a Christian. And, you know, all of these people have their various places. So it's very hard for us to judge just knowing where everybody ought to fall out in the kingdom. But I do think it's commendable when someone, you know, if they're, if they're leaving as Greg has said, something that would be very lucrative in making money, uh, and he wants to preach the gospel. As long as he preaches truth, as he preaches the gospel, and he works and, and is diligent at but, it. But that's not to say that he couldn't have also been right. a faithful servant of God if he'd pursued that Ph.D. Again, and we're going to have to leave some of that to the realm of personal judgment. And, you, and, you know, I suggest earlier, maybe that's the kind of thing you need to pray about. You need to ask advice from brethren that you, whose opinions you respect, right. and then you're going to have to make your best call on that. The general consensus in the chat room is, as, as you have commented, uh, Kevin says, I would not condemn anyone striving to spend more time in service to God. Larry says that would have to be a priority that each person would have to deal with. Anthony says, I think either way this situation would be a matter of judgment. And Larry says, hmm, maybe most people think the preachers are the only ones who should work. No, yeah. In other words, is it is the implication that he couldn't? If he's not do, a preacher, he's couldn't just, have done anything. Yeah. 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 Right. All right. Okay. Quickly. Right, quickly. Let's talk about opportunity. We talked about ability, and we said our responsibilities are the are, are the are the combination of ability and opportunity. When you have ability and an opportunity confronts you, you are responsible to act. Opportunity. A couple of verses from the scripture about opportunity. Proverbs three verse twenty seven. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thy hand to do it. In other words, if, if there's a guy who, who's hungry and needs food, and I have the ability to address that need, I ought to do it. You know, if, it, if, it, if it's in the power of my hand, I can help him. Now, if it's not in the power, if, if I'm out of food too, mm-hmm. then I, haven't, I don't have an opportunity. I mean, uh, the, the, the situation there is not providing me with any responsibility because there's nothing here I can do about it. But if it's in the power of my hand, then I need to do it. Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful but lacked opportunity. Apparently the church at Philippi there for a time had not been sending support to Paul in his preaching because they didn't have the opportunity to do so. But now they had the opportunity and they were using it again. So, again, the Lord never expects us to, to do what we're not able to do. He only expects us to do what we're able to do. And he never expects us to do anything if the, if the opportunity is not before us. But when the opportunity presents itself, he expects us to act. And so I, I, I put together a list of things that might be questions to ask or suggestions. Is how do I figure out what my opportunities are? The lists sort of overlap. Uh, pray. Study the scriptures. Give serious thought and meditation to this. Ask others for advice. And then ask yourself these questions. What things need to be done in the overall work of this church? What can I do to help the spiritual health and growth of the congregation? What is currently being done inadequately or not being done at all? Yeah. You know, that's sort of long lines of, of, of a fellow sitting next to me. You know, somebody ought to do something about this or that. Well, you're somebody. Why don't you do something about oh, it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what problems exist? What are others doing that I can help do? 
What restrictions are placed on me by the scriptures? You know, uh, you know, some people would be limited. For instance, a woman, you know, we don't have anybody to preach a lesson Sunday. Oh, I'll do it. And the woman, but a no, woman well, couldn't say, oh, right. oh, I'll, do, I'll, it. I'll yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, and then what other factors might limit my opportunities? So uh, just some suggestions about how we determine where our opportunities are. Now, Nick, that requires uh, maybe uh, doing some investigations and searching, looking for the opportunities. Sometimes someone says, well, there's just no opportunities. Maybe they're not looking hard enough. Uh, I suppose it's just like daily life. If we're <laughs> looking for uh, our daily food, we pray to God, and, and so we're looking for the opportunity to eat our daily bread. Uh, we'll, we'll get busy about that. In you, you usually don't fail to find don't the fail. chance. Yeah, you can look at me and tell I, I seldom ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm always, I, somehow or another, I always find that opportunity to eat. And I think that's the same way in, in the kingdom. If we look for uh, what, as you said, what needs to be done, there's always work to be done as long as we're in this life. All right, so we have to look for that opportunity, and maybe if we don't see opportunity, perhaps we're not looking hard enough. All right, uh, uh, real quickly, I want to. We're going to run out of time here. But I want to go to this uh, last question: How does God measure us as to whether or not we have fulfilled our responsibilities? So we've talked really all night about the fact that we need to be a member of a local church, and as local members of a local church, we have abilities and opportunities that present themselves. That we have the abilities and opportunities present themselves to us, and therefore we are obligated to act. We have responsibility. How do I know? How am I able to determine? What God thinks of me, have, does he view me as a person who has fulfilled my responsibilities? Um, I, I wanted to throw in a couple of verses along that line. One of the things God expects from us is fruitfulness. Um, Matthew 7, beginning verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. I, I emphasize here the expression, every tree, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. God is looking for me to produce fruit. Yes. Uh, if I'm a good tree, I'm producing fruit. Uh, John 15:8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Yes. So shall you be my disciples. So God expects me. I'm a, dis, I'm, I'm a servant of God, and he expects me to bear fruit. And I, I need to think about that. What am I doing that, that suggests that I am bearing fruit in his, in his kingdom, that I'm bearing fruit in his service? Now, Nick, that uh, we often think about fruit bearing as uh, how many people have I converted. That's not uh, the idea of bearing fruit. Yeah, uh, and that's it, part of it, but it'd not, be, it's it'd not be one, isolated. It'd be one kind. Yeah. you know, the idea of God's word is to preach it. It will not return to him void. I know a, a, a brother uh, that obeyed the gospel when he was about fifty years old. Didn't have a lot of education, and I remember we used to be trying to get people to come to gospel meetings and uh, talking to our own family members and. And we would always say it's hard to get people to come. And every time this brother would bring a carload, every time we'd have a gospel meeting or have a Bible study, he wasn't able to teach classes or anything, but he was doing what he could in bringing people to hear the word. And, and I know of many people that had obeyed, has obeyed the gospel from him putting forth that effort. Uh, some have fell away. Some have remained faithful. 
But he did his part in getting them introduced to hear the word of God, and God's word will not return. Boy, those people that he brought, uh, they heard the gospel. That's fruit bearing. That's okay. right. I think you're exactly right, Nick. But I also think what you said, Jacob, is true, that maybe we, sometimes we only focus on the idea of soul winning as right. fruit bearing. And I don't think that it's limited to that. Uh, for instance, in Galatians chapter 5, when it lists the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. When when I manifest brotherly love, when I treat my brethren the way that I should, uh, uh, then that's a, that's a form of fruit bearing. I'm bearing fruit for the Lord when I when I develop and and manifest proper brotherly love. And there's just a lot of ways. Fruit bearing basically is when we obey the commands of God. When we when we become and be the kind of people that He describes in His Word, we're bearing fruit for Him. All right. Uh, and along those lines, uh, Paul uh, says on ability and opportunity. Among uh, conservative brethren, we view pure and undefiled religion caring for the fatherless and widows as an individual responsibility. I agree, but how many individuals take on their responsibility and look for opportunity? So you know, part of that, uh, bearing fruit, is caring for those who are fatherless and widows as well. And maybe, you know, maybe uh, someone might be better at uh, attending to the needs of the widows than, than others. Perhaps, yeah, Anthony uh, you know. in the chat room says, I was taught early on that bearing fruit basically meant converting souls, and that if we don't do that, we are not righteous. It's taken me a while to unlearn that notion. I think that's right. And I think maybe we, we've beat people up with it and we've beat ourselves up with it. You know, if I can't count a long list of people that I have personally been involved in converting, Therefore, I haven't borne fruit for the Lord. That's, that's just not necessary. Well, true. that's true. It's wrong on a lot of fronts. And Anthony says it's not. this is not to diminish the importance of personal evangelism, and it is not. But, I mean, converts, is, that's beyond my control. If I'm, if I'm make, measuring my fruit by how many you're people only gonna get to go to, You're only going to get to go to heaven if you have converted ten people. Right. And I can't find ten people who will, will you know, learn the yeah. gospel and obey it. So I, am I going to go to hell because I can't find that tenth person? Right. No, yeah. that's, it's not that way at all. All right. Um... And uh, well, one other thing that, that the Lord expects, or at least one other thing, and this this might sound unusual, but the Scripture uses the word profitableness. He expects us to be profitable in his service. And I would go back to the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verse 30. The, the master said, Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Think about the idea of profitableness. How would the Lord measure profitableness in a Christian? Mm. Well, it would have to be that he is doing things that are to the benefit of the master's kingdom, wouldn't it, Nick? And he's profitable to the master. Yeah, I think that's the idea of First Corinthians 3 where Paul says, you know, we plant, we water. God gives the increase. Uh, you know, it's the gospel that is the power of God to save people. It's not me saving people, but I have to... Uh, in this earthen vessel, we have to be spreading that gospel to those who are lost. You know, Nick, if, if, if we were running a business, we might think of this employee, uh, and we might we might have this idea of this employee. He, he's profitable to what we're doing here. Maybe all he does is keep the books. You know, He never gets out and sells, and he never meets customers. But, man, when it comes to keeping the records, we, 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 couldn't, we couldn't run this business without. He's profitable to what we're doing here. You know, and so profitableness is just measured in the sense of it helps in the overall outcome of what we're trying to achieve. And I think the Lord looks at profitableness that way too. Uh, uh, but we need to be 
we should even ask ourselves, am I living and acting in such a way that I'm profitable to the Lord, that, that I advance his cause, that I help make it better in this local place? Well, and that, that whole idea lends itself to the idea of obligation. You know, in the, in the business realm, uh, people have, are given goals for profit. You know, how much money will they make the company? There's an obligation there. And I think there is some obligation for us as well, Nick. Uh, the Lord expects us to be doing everything we can uh, in his, his field. And, you know, you, you remember the story about the guy who he, he was gone from the job. And, and s- several weeks later, somebody says, well, who's filling his place? And the and the owner of the job said he didn't leave a vacancy. You know, you know we don't want to be like that in the no. kingdom. <laughs> All right. Well, we're about out of time. We've had a good discussion. I, you know, I was sort of I wasn't overjoyed about this topic. I mean, I wasn't real excited about it. It was going to be a good one, I thought. But uh, boy, it turned out to be a good discussion with the comments that we had in the chat room tonight. Yeah, we appreciate everybody who participated. All right, uh, good discussion. We've got a and Nick. Thank you for being a part of the program. Yeah, good to be here in person tonight and. And, and sometimes I, last week I was guest 846. Well, you 846? I was 846 last okay. week. Well, we're glad that you're here in person today. We've got to end the program because Nick's microphone continues to sink down. He's going to be on the floor talking into yeah, that, that thing. Yeah, that thing just keeps dropping lower and lower. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your time tonight, Dan. Thanks, Jacob. And Dan's been behind the controls, done a great job. Thank you, Dan, Thanks, for your Dan. time. And uh, thank you for joining us on the program tonight. We hope you benefited in st- in our, from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word in the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.